Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, welcome to OCC. If I've not met you yet, I'm Pastor Scott. Last week, we began a series of looking how Jesus defines greatness differently than the world. And before we do that, I just want to pray before we get into today's message. Lord, we just ask you for your help today. Um, God, your word is true and real. And these words that you wrote as Jesus are very impactful for our everyday life, Lord. So help them to, to you know, just to really speak to us today, Lord. Uh, may we understand them, and I just ask that your spirit will will make them come alive and help us to apply them to our everyday life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when Jesus was asked this question by his disciples, and this is found in, in Matthew 18.1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? His answer must have come to us uh, as a surprise to them. I mean, because what prompted them asking this question is there was a lot of bickering and jockeying for position and status. And so, Jesus' answer was not at all what they really had expected, all right? And in his teachings, Jesus highlights four types of people um, that he says will be great, and last couple of weeks, we actually talked about those who are humble. And then last week, we talked about those who serve. So if you missed those messages, you can check them out at a website and get caught up. But today, we're going to move into the third type of person that is found in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. But before we do that, I really want to set the stage for this by telling you um, a couple stories about a few people that I read about as I was preparing for this message. All right. First is we have Roland Taylor. John Bradford and John Rogers. These were three English clergymen in the, in the 1500s who had really spoken up against Queen Mary I, who was really attempting to kind of get rid of Protestantism in England and really bring England back to the Roman Catholic ways. And these men really just, they, they couldn't stand for some of the non-biblical, non-truth-based practices that the Roman Catholic Church we're talking about in those days. Now, these men, all three of them, were burned at the stake in England. And then also, maybe a more recent story is, um, or at least in the 50s um, from America, is um, Jim Elliott and his four missionary friends. These are some guys who had actually met the Huarani people, who is a tribe in Ecuador, who they used an airplane to kind of meet them. They would drop food and other supplies down with their basket. They would talk with them um, from the airplane through a loudspeaker. And then some of them even hiked out to where they had established kind of a base camp near a river. And they met some of the Huarani people and even gave one of one curious guy an airplane ride. And based on these, like, friendly interactions, they kind of thought, hey, Let's go ahead and try to meet the whole tribe. But before they could do that, 10 Huarani warriors actually showed up and killed Jim Elliott and all four of his, of his, uh, you know, partners in, on January 8th, 1956. Or how about a much, much more recent story? A couple of months ago, Afghanistan actually for some reason possibly attempt to, um, I think they had a national ID that they were digitizing and they were asking everybody to fill out these applications. And so <clears throat> because of Western influence, they decided to put a box on there that basically said that, you know, allowed people to declare their religion. Now, 
Most of people in Afghanistan are Muslim, all right? But we do have some Christian brothers and sisters there who there was about 150 of them that all made a covenant with one another that they were going to fill out the application and actually mark that they were Christians. Well, now in the past few weeks, as you all know, um, the Taliban has taken over rule of Afghanistan right now. And those, those 150 people or some of those people are now being hunted and tracked down door to door. And, you know, um, what's happened to them is still unknown. But the penalty for that is, is usually death by the Taliban. So here's a question I have for all of these individuals and for us today. What perspectives and values do you think these people had to have in order to make these type of decisions? I mean, really think about that. What gave Roland Taylor and John Bradford the impulse to kiss the stake that they were going to be burned on? You know, as John Rogers, one of the other English clergymen, as he was being taken down the road to where he was going to be burned on the stake, you know, what gave his children the ability to follow along the road and shout out encouragements to their dad. Must have been things like, you're doing the right thing, dad. You know, make Jesus look good. Be faithful to the end. And what prompted Jim Elliott and his friends to make a very intentional, documented decision to never defend themselves against the Hurani people, even if it meant their death? And guess what? It did. The answer is really found in today's passage. Now, the passage we're about to read and understand is really, really foreign to our cultural or even our basic human sensibilities. And I really want to kind of forewarn you that this is going to stir up some questions that I'm not going to fully be able to answer today. And that's okay. You know, the Bible is actually complex. And what you find is as you move through life, life is more complex than simple. And I really want to encourage you to go ahead and lean into the complex. You know, one of my friends said, a mentor of mine said, the Bible has ruined all of his best ideas about life. So today I want you to go ahead and let it ruin your ideas. Go ahead and become uncomfortable with some of these ideas and collect questions that you need to ask of God. And in time, I really think that God can help you get Answer the answers you need. So, these words I'm about to read, these are not just words from some ivory tower, out of touch, well-to-do theologian. These are the words of our Lord Jesus, the God-man who came to show us the way. So follow along as I read this. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For what is, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right. So let's break down this passage. The first part of it is blessed are those who are persecuted. So what does this word blessed even really mean in the context of this passage? That's my first question. And the Greek word that's kind of behind the English translation, here's what it actually means. It means fortunate, well-off, happy. And in the specific context that's being used here, it actually means the extreme version of that. So it kind of sound like this. Rather than saying blessed, it would say, you are extremely fortunate, well-off, and happy. Sounds great, doesn't it? I want to be extremely fortunate, well-off and happy. Happy, But what about this word persecute? What does that mean? 
the persecuted. So if we want to be extremely well-off, fortunate, and happy, that's a reward for being persecuted. So this word literally means for someone to pursue you with suffering, to press suffering onto someone, to abuse them, to harass them. I don't know about you, but I usually don't connect the ideas of extremely well-off, fortunate, and happy as a description of someone who's experiencing abuse, harassment, that causes loss, suffering, or even death. But guess what? Jesus does connect those. And when Jesus says something, I want to pay attention. So now, before we figure out how he connects those seemingly distant ideas, or what Pastor John Piper calls glad agony, there's a qualifier in this passage, isn't there? He isn't saying that all persecution is blessed. Only persecution done as a result for living a righteous life and living for him. So, it would seem that the passage, that from this passage, that living a life for Jesus, living a righteous life, has the potential for being hazardous. Is that really what Jesus is saying? Is living for Jesus hazardous to our health and well-being? You know, that's a much broader topic for another message, but I don't want to leave you hanging. So the answer to that question is yes, no. (laughs) Um, Suffering may happen, but Jesus says that this will result in you being extremely well-off and fortunate. Now, another question that I get from this is, why would someone want to harass and cause suffering? Why would someone want to persecute someone for living a righteous life? I mean, what we're talking about when we're talking about a righteous life for Jesus is words like mercy, peacekeeper, self-sacrificing love, purity. Why would someone want to persecute that? And I think the answer is found in um, Luke 16 here. And it says, no servant can serve two masters. Now, Jesus is speaking and there's some um, Pharisees who are Jewish leaders at the time listening. It says, no servant can serve two masters, Jesus says. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they were lovers of money, okay? That's key to remember. Heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted above men, among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So here's what we learn from this. And this is why I think living a righteous life can bring on persecution is when the love of something evil and the need to justify that love combine in a person, the typical human response, the the standard operating human protocol at that point is to attack the other person in order to kind of defer fault away from them. You know, when I was, um, I used to have a job when I was a younger man and was really starting to take God seriously. And at that job, we used to have to give these tests to new employees. And the test cost 20 bucks. Every time you pulled off a test and gave it to them, it cost our company 20 bucks. Well, one of my managers was tired of having to pay 20 bucks. So she was like, just copy it and give it to everybody. And I said, look, I said, I'm not trying to be that guy. 
And I really thought about it and I wrestled with this and I said, I'm not trying to be that guy. But, I mean, I'm not going to tell you guys what to do, but can I be relieved of having to do that? I don't want to have to rob somebody of their $20 or break a copyright raw or break a copyright law. Can I, can I just be relieved of that? And she said, sure. And then I noticed she started to kind of treat me differently the rest of the day and then even more differently the following day. And I think we finally had a conversation. I said, hey, what's going on? And she just began to kind of berate me and she called me a self-righteous something, you know. And she was angry. The mere, you know, the mere existence of me, of taking that stand, was offensive to her. And so that's kind of what I, you know, that's a small example of this. And this could be also seen on a very large scale in which a whole society rejects even the existence of one Christian. On a micro scale, it's individuals like in my story. You know, they might be annoyed and say, oh, you Puritan Christian. Matter of fact, the word Christian was kind of a derogatory statement for people who saw that, who were trying to live a life of Christ in the day. Like, you little, Christ, you little Christs. You know, it was kind of derogatory. And so even that word is is what I'm talking about manifesting, you know, where we get a title for, for our religion, the Christian religion. So now since we live in the Disneyland of the world, you know, the United States, um, this may be the only type of persecution that in the U.S. we may experience. And I like to call it micro persecution. But don't get too comfy because um, history shows us that things can change very quickly from micro to societal. All right. Now, this all helps us understand why there, why there is persecution, but the real answer to our dilemma in connecting persecution with blessing, like why is Jesus saying you're blessed if you're persecuted, really comes from the end of the passage. And here it is. It says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Hear that for a minute. This is the crux of this message. And I want you to ask a question of yourself. I want you to ask a very honest question of yourself right now. It's the same question as I was preparing for this message I had to ask myself. Okay? And here it is. Does a great reward in heaven really appeal to you as a payoff for enduring abuse, harassment, and potentially even torture and death for living a righteous life for Jesus? Think about that. Whatever your answer is, don't freak out. You know, we have a very loving and patient God who takes great care in training us up in His ways. But I do want you to wrestle with that. Now, right now, I'm going to invite Jerry Cadenhead up, all right? Jerry and his wife, Jenny, are members of our church, and they spent most of their adult life serving in overseas missions, all right? Jerry's a fun guy. I think you'll enjoy him. But they're, they're retired now as missionaries, and they're doing some other things in their post-missionary retirement life. But I want to ask Jerry a couple questions about his experience with persecution and some of the lessons he had learned. So, Jerry, come on up. Thanks, Scott, for having me, and I'm really, ha really happy to share my experiences. Yes, yeah, Scott, it's really amazing you, um, how many countries where, uh, you're really limited either, uh, to, uh, practice your faith 
or even to to talk about your faith. There there are several regions around the world, whether it's North Africa, the Middle East, or in um, in Asia. It, it's um, it it can be really difficult and challenging for people to practice their faith there. Well, I and. And my what I've experienced is real minor compared to what I know uh, people that live in these countries have experienced as far as persecution. But just a a couple quick examples. Uh, I was with a team into a um, a, uh, a, a Central Asian country, and we uh, were going there to um, do some distribution work with scriptures. And uh, I found myself uh, one day uh, being arrested by the police there, and they took me in, interrogated me, and and wanted to know why I was there, and just sort of trying to be as general as possible so I wouldn't compromise the team. And uh, for about a week, they just held me in different uh, places in, uh, in 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 the city and. They took me. Uh, they took me to jail in a taxi cab. Then they made me pay the taxi cab driver for uh, my, my own time there. And uh, they one 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 night they put me in this dungeon, and and I and, and it, it was so uh, surreal because I knew nobody in this world knew where I was at. My team didn't know where I was. Um, I wasn't sure where I was. I I only knew the Lord knew where I was, and. It was pretty dark and, I'll be honest, pretty scary. But it was during that time I really discovered uh, a power, the power of the Lord and just that He really wanted to be, take care of me and be my loving Father. And, and God gave me so many opportunities in, in that experience to to uh, share. And when they took me out, they put me in a cell with uh, these Iranians. And it just happened to be the... Uh, they, they were in deportation, so rather large, kind of creepy, but they were, uh, in, they were there the same summer our hostages were being held in Iran, and I thought, Lord, either I'm getting ready to be a martyr, or you got a great sense of humor. And so, when I was in there, I, God opened a door, just began sharing with them, and they were so receptive, and just had the greatest time with them, and 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 it, it it was just a a surreal experience. And during that week, they took me out one time, and I really thought that they were putting me in front of a firing squad. And I can be honest with you, I was not ready to go. I did not feel I, I was not ready to say, Lord, you know, receive my spirit. I, I was praying, Lord, get me out of here, please. Well, fortunately. Um, what I thought was going to be soldiers lining up with their rifles. They were going to be my escort to another police department. But finally got out. They deported me and uh, just started uh, hitchhiking across Europe, uh, trusting God. And a verse that really came home during that time was where Jesus was standing before Pilate. Pilate said, do you realize I can do to you whatever I want? And Pilate told, Jesus told him, said, you would have no authority over me unless what was given to you by my father. And I really realized at that point that my heavenly father was going to take care of me. And, and there were times I'd be hungry and I'd cry out. I said, Lord, I'm hungry. And people would bring food or water. And, 
And uh, it, it was just such a surreal experience there. And uh, that, that was one of the situations. Another time, same same situation. I was uh, distributing Bibles and a uh, policeman, uh, this was in North Africa, and a policeman uh, wanted uh, my Bibles and he wanted me to, and they started interrogating me. And I just said, you know, it, I asked a question when they were interrogating me. If Christianity is such a false religion, then what do you have to worry about with me? <laughs> and they had no answer. But God opened a door there to, to share Christ. And and uh, as you can see, they finally let me go. So that those are just a couple of the experiences that, that I've encountered. But there are people that face this stuff every day. Uh, yes, I did, and uh, they uh, they helped at times with the distribution work. Whether we were stuffing Bibles underneath our our uh, our child seats in the car, where that we knew authorities may not look, or whether we would take Bibles uh, in in garbage bags, and uh, they they helped a lot during that time. Well, that's a good question, Scott. And the last thing I would ever want to do is put my family at, at risk. But one thing I saw in their eyes and in their hearts was that they wanted to be a part of this because they realized that what I did is that people often do not have, come to Christ because they do not have access to the gospel. And all we wanted to do was plant seeds and make the word accessible to where the Holy Spirit could work in their lives. And they wanted to be a part of that. I think one, one thing that, that I've really learned is that God is at work throughout the world. And there are times when his believers are called to take a stand, uh, out, step out of their comfort zones, and to go into areas for his name's sake and, and, and to really um, take his word. And, and you know, it says in Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, where Jesus says, I will be with you even to the ends of the earth. And sometimes that may mean uh, rejection. It, it may mean uh, being maligned or, or being persecuted or being prosecuted. But... The Lord says, I will be there always with you. And, and having that promise in, in our lives, it means we can go in his name wherever he leads. And we can see God work in a mighty way. I, I guess one thing was just having uh, some verses in my heart that I knew. But having some heart songs too, some heart melodies that I just kept singing over and over. I know one of them at that time, it was kind of popular. It was called, In the Name of Jesus, In the Name of Jesus, We Have the Victory. I would just keep singing that. And, and God would just give me a peace and a comfort to know that, that He was there, that He was in charge, and that uh, I, I, I remember one time there was... I believe his God sent his angels. There's one time that 
a, um, a, a police chief had brought back his arm like that and was getting ready to just back slap me. And I, and I was just sitting there and I thought, Lord, please, because I saw his prisoners being beat left and right. I just said, Lord, just protect me. And it was like God just froze his arm in midair. An angel froze his arm and he just put it down and just walked away. So I, I just saw Lord bringing peace. And again, just this, just the understanding that God is my loving father and that he will take care of his children. Without a doubt, I, I would not trade it for the world. I mean, just to know, not that so much I, I, I was persecuted, you know, I don't glory in that. I glory in the fact that I was able to take Bibles into regions that, uh, where people would, had never heard the gospel. I, I, I know that, it, you know, when, when people just say, hey, I need to hear about Jesus. I need to hear about his word. I had a vision of Jesus. Can you tell me more about him? It, it, it blesses you beyond measure. I would say this, that God has given us so much in, here in the West. And, and, and we need to be willing to go wherever God tells us and be willing to support ministries that, that are reaching out in, in, to the ends of the earth. And, you know, the ends of the earth are, it can be geographical, it can be spiritual, but it's where people sit in darkness. And, and I would just say, be willing to go wherever God leads you and trust Him for the outcome. Right. Hey, thanks, Jerry. I really appreciate that. And I hope that was helpful to you. I wanted you to see a picture. Um, you can actually see how um, more than, you know, he's blessed for this, but also he just has a desire to spread God's kingdom throughout the world. So it's kind of neat to see that. There are a couple implications I want to go over here as we wrap up today that this this passage really leaves us with, okay? And the first one is this, is Jesus wants us to desire heaven more than earth. I mean, think about that for a minute. Our hearts, our dreams, our hopes are to be in heaven and not here. How else could he say, great is your reward if you are persecuted? At least now that we know what that is. So wrestle with the potential that you have two competing desires in you. And I know I do. It's a reward in heaven or a reward here on earth. Wrestle with that. The second implication is Jesus wants us to challenge our natural instincts when we are mistreated for his namesake. You know, what instincts come to mind, actually, when you're mistreated or you see others mistreated? You know, I don't know about you, but that there's two with, with what's going on in Afghanistan right now. There's two things that come to mind for me. It's blame. Who can I blame for what happened there? And then vengeance. I want people to pay. You know, statistics actually show that when persecution happens, the gospel spreads. So I have a question is, why would we want to be adverse to persecution then? You know, if that's, a, that's a pretty bold statement. And if you want to read more about it, this is really laid out in great detail in Nick Ripkin's book, The Insanity of God. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And really what, what, what we conclude by this is rather than fight off persecution... 
maybe we should welcome it. And I want to close with this quote from Jim Elliott. And he wrote this about six years before he died in his journal. And he actually proved that he meant it. And it's this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for today and I just ask you for help, Lord. Help us to wrestle with this content, Lord. I pray that um, that that even though we may have questions and we, we may feel like we have competing desires, God, that you will take us through your training program, that you take each of us through individually by your Holy Spirit and grow us to become more like you, God. God, as I prepared for this message, I really started to think, oh, I need more of you in my life, God. I'm beyond the tipping point of just being satisfied. I, I don't want a mediocre relationship with you, God. I need a deeper relationship with you. So I pray that for all of us, and may we grow and prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a few next steps I want you to consider taking. The first is, if this is, you know, if you're new to Christianity, if you're just exploring it here, and you're hearing this, and it's prompting you to kind of explore this a little deeper, I really want you to request information on our connection card um, for how to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to talk with you. It won't be high pressure, but we would love to set up a time to talk with you. Or you can even go up to our next steps table right now today and talk to someone about how to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so important. Second is maybe you need to, you know, if you're walking with God and you want to grow in more of your understanding of this whole idea of persecution and and how you can be um, like Jerry, you know, maybe you should read the book, The Insanity of God. A True Story of Faith Resurrected by Nick Ripkin. You can check that out. It's on your um, listening guide. And then um, pray for the persecuted church. Please pray for them. Pray that God would use their persecution to advance his kingdom. And then number four here is ask God to give you experiences to grow in a desire for heavenly rewards and not just earthly rewards. And the last but not least, we're, we're sending a trip to serve at Santa Clarita to help Valley Lights Church with the sports camp coming up in October. This message really just leans right into, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to practice serving others and spreading the kingdom of God. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that event and check it out on our events page and really consider Would you be able to help out Valley Lights Church as they grow their church into a brand new area with people who don't know Jesus yet? Thanks and have a great day. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.